Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. My name is Louisa, International Passion Ambassador, and I'm the host of your show. Thank you for making me a part of whatever you're doing now. And if you like this episode, please do subscribe. A fabulous guest today. I'm really excited to have her on the show, Trisha Barker. And if you don't know who she is, during her senior year in college, Trisha Barker was in a fatal car accident. She survived and returned to her body, having experienced a profound near-death experience, or NDE for short. Trisha's book, Angels in the Awe, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival and Transformation, tells the story of her near-death experience, teaching mission and eventual triumph over childhood trauma and sexual assault. Trisha is a graduate of the University of Texas. She also received her MFA in Creative Writing from Goddard College. Currently, she teaches English and creative writing, among other things, in Fort Worth, Texas. Trisha's poetry and essays have been published in several publications, and she is the founder of the annual online Near-Death Summit, which we're going to talk about as well, and the next one is scheduled for August 1 and 2, 2020. Trisha believes that joy, humor, and healing is available to everyone through a deeper connection to divinity. This is his, her story and this is her passion. Trisha, I'm so honored and excited to dive into this and welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you too. <laughs> um, I always like to start the show with a bit of background, I guess, if you don't mind, starting prior to your near-death experience, which many of our listen, listeners would be excited to hear about, but just some pivotal moments in your childhood that helped make you the person you are today. Yeah, so I loved reading, and that was always a passion of mine. So even though I grew up in a small town, which there was some racism in that town, and there was a lot of um, loneliness, really, but literature connected me to people around the world, and I would dive into their stories, and I read books above my grade level at very young ages, and I just I felt connected to the world. So I think literature, for me, was this way to create empathy, even at young ages. And I was raised religious, but at some point I looked at the hypocrisy in churches and probably around junior high or high school, I began to consider myself agnostic. And so I went into college very clear that, you know, I wanted nothing to do with religion and everything to do with material success. Growing up in this small town with a lot of poverty, I, I thought, okay, well, I'll go to college. I'll get an English degree because I love that and then get a uh, law degree. So that was kind of the background before the accident. The accident. It's funny when you say that, you know, our careers or our life paths, we always have these planned out life's paths and they, they never happen like that. They're not a linear path. They go up and down and it's amazing to where you are now. And yes, I'd love to hear if you're happy to share it about your car accident and your near-death experience. Yes. So the car accident happened on a Sunday morning. I was on my way to run the Austin 10K and I was a senior in college. And for me, this race was 
I wanted to get my life together and get on track and, and basically get my health, um, you know, at top peak before graduating. So I was running really hard. I was excited about this race. Um, I got a little off track at college, uh, so a little too much partying and, you know, enjoying being out of this small town. Yeah. So I was focused on the race as this symbol of my life being great. Of all things, I had pretty much a head-on collision just a few blocks from my house, and I was in a very small car, and I knew that my body was pretty badly broken because I was leaning over to one side, and I couldn't get up, and I could not reach my glove box or the license and registration. And I remember thinking, oh, I had been working so hard to control everything. And now suddenly the control was taken out of my hands. And I thought, do I believe in God? You know, what, what do I do in this moment? And it was just this little split second of, okay, if there's a God, help me. This is going to be horrible. Well, I ended up um, waiting 17 hours in the emergency room because wow. this was a Sunday and the neurosurgeons, some of them were on, one of them was on the golf course and didn't want to come in because I didn't have health insurance as a student. The other one had been on duty for 40 hours. So I overheard all this with the nurses. When I met the other neurosurgeon, I grabbed her arm and I said, please operate on me. And she looked at me and there was this moment of connection from human to human. And she was like, okay, but I have to go home and get dinner. <laughs> and oh my gosh. For 40 hours. Wow. <laughs> and, so, and are you in I, a lot of pain I, at this stage? Yes. I knew that my back was broken and I had lost feeling in one of my legs. And that really freaked me out because I was a runner and I thought, am I going to walk? And Finally, 17 hours later, they wheeled me into surgery. And I remember signing that form and it said 17% chance of death that I thought oddly specific, <laughs> you know, but hey, I'm yeah. young, I'm 22. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, well, there's no other choice. You know, they must do this. So I went under and I don't know how long I was under in the operating room, but at some point my spirit form left my body and it was like i was hovering somewhere above the operating table and i could see the room with 360 degree vision i could see the top of the surgeon's heads looking over me and they were busy at work and i was excited i was thrilled i mean because being agnostic i thought sometimes well what if i die and then i just don't exist anymore what if this is it and how sad is that and One i life. would feel these yeah, I would feel these moments of like panic thinking about that. So when I was outside of body, I was certain this was not a dream, not a hallucination. This was my spirit form in its true essence. You know, I looked down at the body and I didn't feel that connected to it. There was a lot of blood. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of gory. I didn't realize surgery would be that bad, but they had most of my back open and at that time they took bone from the hip so my hip was open back was open blood was everywhere and i remember thinking hmm okay well what happens next and then i saw these amazing angels at the end of the operating table and they were nine feet tall kind of composed of light and composed of uh, the greatest intelligence i've ever seen in my life and i know that's hard to put into words, but that was just the impression. So my soul just had this like immediate awe and impression of them as beings. And they sent 
like telepathy. It was this wave of light into my spirit form telling me it was going to be fine. The body was going to heal. It was going to, the surgeons would pick out the bone fragments, but they said they were assisting the surgeons. And I thought, isn't that fascinating? I wonder if these brilliant surgeons know that angels are working through them. And I was like, I bet they don't. And the angels shot this light through them and they said, watch this. And my entire physical body lit up with this light, which I knew was healing and intelligent and assisting the surgeons in the surgery. But then at some point, the monitor flatlined. And I thought, ooh, I'm technically dead now. I don't want to see how they revive me because I remember the anesthesiologist was at probably the front of my bed and he stepped back. He, he just like, you know, had this look of horror. And I've talked to other anesthesiologists who said, that's a nightmare. If someone's opened up, you know, from the back, they're going to lose a lot of blood because we've got to turn them over to restart the heart. And that's going to be tough. And so I didn't want to see that. So I left really quickly and I went into the waiting room where I saw my stepdad get a candy bar. And he was like a health nut. So I thought, that's odd. <laughs> like, and I just kind of registered it. And that's, that's it. Later, that became my verifiable detail and lots of outlets like Dr. Oz, the Bio Channel, National Geographic. They hook on to these stories that have verifiable details. Mm -hmm. I didn't know why it was important, but... It, um, it was an important detail outside of form. I had a, somewhat of a classic near-death experience story. I don't know if you've um, seen that SNL skit where they make fun of near-death experiences. I haven't actually, but I'll, I'll have to have a look. <laughs> it's very funny, but I was like, did they see mine? <laughs> because, um, you know, I basically was the only person who was dead and on the other side was my grandfather. So after I transitioned into this night sky and I felt this oneness with everyone in the, the town of Austin, um, it was like my soul was just saying goodbye. I love you. Take care of yourself to everyone I'd ever known, even a barista, you know, just someone I passed. I thought that's it. You know, at, at our core, we're just love. And that was my way of, of my soul just connecting with people. Then I transitioned into this, it looked like outer space. It was full of beautiful stars. And I felt not alone and very peaceful. Each little segment of the near-death experience took me into greater peace. And in that place, I felt perhaps the energy of creator or God or a divine intelligence coming toward me. And this intelligence wanted me to know certain things. It was like they were impressing images into my soul. One is love is all that matters. It's all we take with us. Nothing else matters. And the other one was to be like a little child. And then this one was interesting. Remind them to go to nature. And I think as we become more technologically focused, I think throughout my life, that has been a really big mission. I keep taking students to nature and getting them to meditate. I keep reminding people to grow gardens. So like people who listen to me were pretty prepared you know, for right. these COVID times, you know, like there's this like urgency to be near nature. And I felt that since, since this accident, but the next thing that happened was a life review. So I, I felt like this light showed me in panorama my life, but just little chunks of it. And when I was a kid, I was very close to God and I prayed in nature and, and um, 
God showed me beautiful moments in childhood. Then God showed me a moment where I could be better. And I wasn't a bad person at 22. I think like a lot of young people, they judge people based on what they wear, what they listen to, mm -hmm. what kind of music. And, and I cut people out of my life who didn't think like me, who didn't dress like me, who didn't like the same things or go to university. And I saw this couple that I worked with. They were a little bit older than me. They didn't wear cool clothes and I didn't have time for them. And Sometimes this makes me cry when I think about it, but I saw that they went home and prayed for me and, mm. and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, here I am being this like judgmental person and these people love me. Like they actually spent time talking to God on my benefit and perhaps they even helped me on some energetic level, make it through some difficult moments in life. And when I saw that, I was so humbled. I can't tell you how humbled I was. I was just like, God, please bring me back so that I can be kind to people and not judge them and, and really be a different person. And so I think that was the main thing God wanted me to learn. And then I was met by my grandfather, who was the only person dead at the time. And he was glowing. So he looked about 35. He, when he died, he was in his 70s and he had leukemia. I was the last person to see him alive and he raised up and waved to me before he died. And so to see him in heaven glowing, and I say it's heaven, but what it really looked like was this holding place. The grass was very green. The sky was very blue. And he showed up across this field and of all things, he had a truck with him. And this part, you know, like people who love to debate about near-death experiences are saying, well, yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, that's definitely a dream. And I was like, no, it's not because you manifest with your thoughts, what you want to bring there. And what he wanted to bring there and show me in this place of heaven is all that is lost can be reborn. There can be remade. All that falls to dust, all that is dead is reborn in eternity. So this truck used to set in our yard and then it was eventually taken to a a junkyard, but he had given it to, to us and my dad just didn't take care of it. And so there he was like, here, it's beautiful. And you're still my wonderful grandchild and let's spend time together. And in that space, I felt his unconditional love. I felt safe. I felt peace. And he still talks to me from the other side. Like he's really excited about anytime I talk about heaven and him because he wants that energy of heaven to enter people's lives, that mm -hmm. peace. And after a while, so I was with him and then he pointed to a very bright light. I knew this bright light was God. And he said, do you want to continue on? And I felt like it was a choice. I could stay there and feel peace with him and protected and safe, or I could go on to towards God. And I thought, oh no, I'm going towards God. <laughs> you know, like who's going to pass up the opportunity to meet God. So I'm flying just as fast as I can in the spirit form towards God and I feel prayers like one after another and I could hear the words that people were saying and they were trying to pull me back to my body. Like the, the prayers were an energy and I was like, Oh no, 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 it's great here. <laughs> Just don't worry about it <laughs> and broke the prayers. And as I got closer to God, I felt safe. 
I felt no pain. I felt like all of the emotional abuse from childhood, all of the neglect, the pain, the failed romances in college, all of those things just disappeared. And the only thing that mattered was God's love and that I was loved and I was okay the way I was. And everybody is okay exactly the way they are. More than that, they're safe. So in that space, I just felt like an atomic bomb of love was going off inside of me. And it was the best feeling, you know, that I, I could imagine. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to keep going deeper and deeper into God. And as I got closer, more of the world just kind of flew away. But at some point there was a barrier and a hard stop. I have, this is the unusual part of my near-death experience. I was given a specific mission. So some people are told just to return and, and love others and, and told, you know, basic tenets. But God said, you're going back, look down. And I saw this river and there were all these souls. Some were filled with light. Some had darkness around them. And God said, you're going to be a teacher in public schools and colleges. And you're going to work as a teacher and you're going to help students turn on their lights. And I was like, no, I am not. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're mistaken. That's not what I'm doing. I grew up poor. I'm going to law school. Forget this <laughs> and or I'll stay here. <laughs> and I felt like if God was like, if I, my soul was a baseball or something, it was like I was thrown back into my body. <laughs> so it was this wind that enveloped me and I was back in body. Wow. Well, wow. Wow. Thank, well, thank you so much for sharing that incredible story. I bought a few questions. Um, did you, when you were out of your body, you, did you identify yourself as Trisha? That's a good question. I did, but not the name. Um, what I identified as is I looked at my physical body and I felt like my spirit body looked somewhat like mine, except composed of light. And then when I entered heaven, I chose to enter as a child because I had heard the words be like a little child. Mm. And it was kind of interesting because my grandfather met me there and he knew me as a child. So he was his younger form. I was a child. And then, uh, and I knew it was like pictures I'd seen of myself at five, six, seven, you know, just that sweet, innocent stage. But I realized even in that stage that you can manipulate your form. Yes. Interesting. And then the other question is why your grandfather stayed in a different sort of level of astral or existence and didn't decide to go to heaven. Do you know why that is? I, I think he was there to meet me, you know, like maybe he, um, maybe he likes the peace too. I mean, because he does bring that in a lot that, that, uh, he was a country man, you know, and I think sometimes people, and this is just conjecture, but I've heard this many times that people who are very religious like things that remind them of their religion. People who are very much in touch with nature might want to continue to do things that they loved on earth in that space and create that kind of space. But I think he was there to meet me. I think in general, our ancestors know when we're about to die mm -hmm. and they just come to that space. Almost like a guide in, in some capacity. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to ask you difficult questions, but I'm so interested. So um, at some stage, you might not even know this, but will he reincarnate into another human form? 
that's really, I'm glad you asked me that. So um, when I write in my book and angels in the OR, my dad dies at the end of it. Now my dad is a little bit more of a hedonist than my grandfather. He wants to reincarnate, you know, like, and he's talked about, you know, mm-hmm. his desire to do this. I, I talk with him as a medium on the other side. My grandfather is there to guide me. Like he's there until I transition. And that's, that's kind of interesting. I don't know exactly why, but, but I think sometimes grandparents want to be guides to their grandkids because they love them so much. They only had a, a certain amount of time with them. And I think he was this loving person who kind of realized I was having some difficulties even at a, as a child. And, and I think it is just kind of his sole wish to come through in this story. He's like, yeah, you met me there. I want other people to know that this exists. And that's part of his sole mission is to be there for me. Beautiful. And I mean, I didn't even mention the intro, you're a medium, but can you connect with your guides or with loved ones who have departed at will? Or do they come to you? That's randomly. A great, <laughs> that's a great question. And some mediums are guided kind of randomly, but luckily I mainly sit down and give myself space to do that for people. And because I care about people, I think it opens up. So if someone contacts me and I care about that person's journey, then I want that connection and it comes. Mm-hmm. I think that the guides and ancestors and angels work through me in the classroom because I had this set of students. So when I work with people in the world, it's kind of the same principle for me. Like I have some, some fellow professors and they're just skeptical. And I said, well, can you pull in Abraham Lincoln? All right. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think my soul wants to try just for conjecture and fun. Like I, I want it to be healing. I want the message because the messages are generally pretty simple. You know, there's enough identifying information, evidential information to, for the person to understand. Like a validation. Do you always ask for a validation of some? Yes. Yes. But generally people want to heal something. They want to heal a riff or know that the death wasn't too painful or, you know, they want some, um, confirmation you know like one mother was so afraid she didn't tell me this but her son told me to tell her that it was not her fault and I thought he died in a car wreck how could it be her fault but he had not asked her the week or he'd asked her the week before if he should get something fixed in the car and she said no and he was hit on that side of the car Mm -hmm. but he was like it had nothing to do with with the car Interesting. And I love, um, for anyone that's listening, by the way, you're not a lawyer now. You never went to law school. No, 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 (laughs) not at all. I, I get a lot of these questions and thank you for sharing the messages that you, why you were to come back. But a lot of people say, well, the other life or heaven or God, it's so beautiful and such a divine love. Why do we have to experience this life with such conflict and contrast and heartbreak? And how would you answer that? Hard you question. Know, I've, had, I've had a lot of that in life, but I've had a lot of beauty too. And that's the, the irony. So like people who have a near death experience later in life, they have a perhaps more of a maturity set point, you know, they're grounded in their career. So what they're often struggling with is do I get divorced? Now my spouse doesn't understand me. Do I switch careers? A 22 year old, 
still has so much life to go through. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, I'm sure young listeners or, or people looking back at their youth will understand, like, I would end up at conferences with all these 50 and 60 year olds because they were the ones that were talking about the things that I wanted to talk about. But then I was like, hey, I'm still young. I want to date people my age and, you know, go to pubs and bars and, you know, and so you keep living life in this secular way and it becomes this disjoint in a way because you're with people for a long time and I, I found younger people who were into Reiki and you know spiritual things eventually but it took it took some time to bring all of the areas of my life together and fully claim them and and go okay yeah I'm just not gonna hide god I'm still doing that but I think that's a constant process <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you you come back to the operating table alive in your body what happens then yes yeah, so i had actually heard of near-death experiences before so i knew i had one and i became incredibly vocal about it so the minute i remember my throat being sore and they're giving me ice chips maybe they intubate you or something and when when i could finally speak i asked my surgeon how long was i dead <laughs> when she came to see me and she stepped back and she was a little alarmed and she said, we thought we lost you for a couple of minutes, but you're fine now. So don't worry about it. And I thought, okay, we're not going to get to talk about this. This is unfortunate. And I kept trying to talk with nurses about God and people kept reframing their idea of God in terms of belief and faith and religion. Yeah. And I kept going, oh, God's great. God's this energy of love. And it just like blasts you full of love. And, and people are looking at me and my family eventually was like, oh, it must be the morphine talking. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, it's not. I had a near-death experience. And I demanded that someone go get me a uh, journal because I was kind of afraid. I was in ICU for a few days and then I was in um, the hospital for seven more days. And I wrote down what I could remember because I thought, what if I can't remember this? I didn't know that it would always stay with me, that that memory is so clear that it just never fades. Interesting. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people who have had near-death experiences and while they're different, they're all sort of similar with the experience of it, like a pure, pure divine love. And yeah. all of the near-death people who've had a near-death experience, their life, fundamentally changes afterwards they're a more expanded version of themselves so i'm going to ask you in a minute how did you you know your life change but also what happens generally nothing's nothing's general but they have increased psychic abilities did you find that and what were they yeah they were kind of freaky at first and i felt i remember after i went to my mom's house and i was learning to walk again I could pick out little things and just, you know, within the confinement of a home, but they would go to work and I would think, I'm going to turn the radio station to this station and this song is playing and I'd walk over and I'd start singing it. And wherever I was singing it, the minute I turned the station on, that's where the song was. Almost like I could hear it over the frequencies. And that's then a gift. I just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need an iPod. I could just uh, <laughs> switch the dials. <laughs> and um, then there were other things like I 
saw certain things in the house and I knew I was laying underneath this fan and something almost like a voice said, get up right now and get away. And the fan just fell to the floor. So it came undone from the ceiling. And then later when I returned to college, it got distracting. I didn't understand why I was outside of time. So I would, I was waiting tables at a pizza joint and I would hear what was going to be said 10 minutes ahead of time. So sometimes it was fun. I could play with the people who are going to order something and go, you're going to order the margarita pizza, right? <laughs> you know? and, and kind of switch it up. And they're like, how did you know? <laughs> and, and there were little moments, but I thought, this is distracting. I don't want, you know, like constant information about 10 minutes ahead of time. I and I prayed that maybe God could just give me these moments and dreams and so dreams became powerful for me. They became important. Uh, I practiced lucid dreaming. And I, I just say that a near-death experience loosens your soul. So you become more apt to hear ghosts, to contact spirits, to uh, have out-of-body experiences, to lucid dream. Like, And then some of the out-of-body experiences were truly trauma-induced because, you know, that hospital experience. So if I saw an ambulance go by, you know, sometimes I just kind of jerk for a moment and I'd feel like, oh, popped out for a moment of uh, my body. And it wouldn't be like this beautiful near-death experience. It'd be like, I'm above my head. Okay, I'm back in my head. <laughs> and that's the only way I could describe it was my spirit was loosened. Yes. Very interesting. And I forgot to ask you about the angels. So you mentioned the two angels and I know you resonate with angels now a lot in your life you don't mind talking about the angels yeah yeah the the world gets a little smaller when you start talking about angels okay. <laughs> you know there's yeah there's uh, fewer people who want to talk about them but i'm glad that more and more people are like i love what the medical medium says about angels that you can use them to help your food uh the energy of your food you know you can call on them more frequently you can help they can help you with um, PTSD. They can help assist in, say, you're going into a therapist. You can pray that your angels are there to guide that doctor, that therapist, whoever you're working with, to give them extra energy. But I don't actually see them visually. I did for one brief second, and it was too overwhelming. <laughs> when I came back to college, a friend asked me if I could, and I looked up, and they were everywhere. You know, like it seemed like people had two of them, two guardian angels, and then there were spirits just roaming the street. And, and I was like, oh no, no, no! I cannot just walk around and see all this. This is, you know, this is way too much. And so, um, I just feel their energy. They also want to help protect us. So if you're ever afraid, if you're driving icy roads, icy conditions, there's so many stories of people who have been helped by angels beautiful beautiful message and that's going to lead me on to the incredible work you're doing now which is the annual the third annual coming up online near-death summit how did how did this manifest and how did you create it yeah so actually my grandfather from the other side uh, i was meditating under this tree that kind of reminds me of where i was in this field with him in heaven and I said, what am I supposed to do to help people feel the reality of heaven? Because I don't want to just write and talk. Like I want people to have the energetic experience of a near-death experience on some level. And 
the creation of the first annual near-death experience summit just happened. I met a woman who I'm, I'm not that tech savvy, but she is, and she helped me through the process of how to do this and how to create it. And, and I just gathered speakers that I know who have amazing stories. And I thought, well, not everyone can come to a conference, but they can watch online. Mm -hmm. And this year it's actually free because of all that people have gone through in 2020 and I just don't want anyone to be left out. Of course, if you're not in the time zone that I'm in, you might be watching it at an odd hour, <laughs> but uh, but I, I basically wanted people to feel that energy and if enough stories are told in one day, then I think if you don't resonate with one, you'll resonate with another and we need to bring in more and more of this love from the other side, because ultimately that is the point. Interesting, and it's so popular. My question was, why? I mean, why do you think people are so fascinated by near-death experiences? <laughs> well, people are afraid to die first, and near-death experiencers are not afraid to die. I've been tested, and no fear. You know, like literally, just none. I just know I'll step out of this body and into that next realm, and. And I think because that fear is in everyone, they like our lack of fear. <laughs> you know, they, they enjoy that yeah. assuredness. And I don't know. You know, I told my story in 2008 on the bio channel and I thought, oh, that's it. It's out there. You know, I never would have dreamed that it would just keep going and, and there'd be a need to uh, tell the story in other formats and to keep helping other near-death experiencers get their story out there. I, I had no idea, but I think, I think people want greater faith. They don't want just, just a hope. They want to hold on to something real. Something tangible. Yeah. And I think you also, I mean, from our society, you know, our traditions, there's always the idea of judgment, but you mentioned in the life review that you had, it's not necessarily, it's you almost judging yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, that a lot of people worry about that portion of the near-death experience. Mm, heaven but, or hell or... Yeah, yeah, but I think our souls want to evolve. So maybe we can be a little easier on ourselves. Like I didn't live a perfect life and the parts of my life that were a little self-destructive. It was like God just kind of brushed through those and said, be better to yourself. You know, I mean, it wasn't, it was kind of like, you know, parental, but it wasn't like, oh, you're so terrible for trying a drug or you're so terrible for, you know, sleeping with that person. It was more like, hey, just honor your body, honor your temple, love yourself, treat yourself with be with the beauty that you deserve in this world. And, and that, that was the message. It wasn't like, you're bad. Interesting. What a, what a beautiful message you're sharing with the world. So I just want to say thank you so much. Um, is there anything you'd like to talk about to the Passion Harvest audience? Oh, beyond joining the summit, which I'd love for you to join because you can ask the speakers questions. Uh, so if you have particular questions about my experience or the other healers and near-death experiencers at the summit, uh, I would love to have your questions and for you to connect with me. I, I love to stay in touch with people, but thank you. Thank you. And for anyone that's listening or watching all uh, Trisha's details will be on the show notes. I have to ask you on a final, maybe it's two questions. If someone <clears throat> is, since this is a show about passion, if someone's looking to find their passion or follow their passion, what is your advice? 
Yeah, so I do have advice on that. So I was given a particular mission and I didn't have to find it. Um, but what I found was that in working for the benefit of others, I was given so much energy and so much joy for them from the other side. So I would say step into what you want to do with the hope to make this world better in some way or to help people in some way or to create a better industry, whatever you're doing, just know that you can be a channel for much good. And that gives you more passion for what you're doing because when you know you're assisted on the other side and you know that it's wanted and it's needed in this world, then the energy will be there. And more and more people, we're not pioneering enough, I think at times, but there are more and more people who are taking big chances and they are just relying on their ancestors helping them. And they're relying that the knowledge and the wherewithal will be there as soon as they step into it and it happens. Mm. We're not alone. And that's a really comforting um, thought as well. So that was a beautiful answer. Thank you so much. Trisha Barker, thank you for being on Passion Harvest. It's been an honor and a delight and great insights. And I can't wait to attend the summit. Oh, yay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. It was Bye. amazing. Bye-bye. <laughs> that is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, Every day, may you be more and more passionate.